why is Tom Brady still playing football? And, and I think that's, you know, that's the question, right? That's the question. How close is he to the end? I'm starting to feel like this might be it. He's taking one more run at the Super Bowl. He's always wanted to play to 45. He's been talking about how emotional he is coming back. Uh, you know, but why is he still playing football? I think it's just what we were talking about. More on that topic coming up later. But first of all, welcome in to the show. Ryan O'Leary here playing host. And it's my pleasure to be joined for season three of the podcast by Luke Easterling, the managing editor of USA Today's Bucks Wire. Luke, how the hell are you, my man? Hey, we're back, baby. We're back. We're uh, we're back after a week one win. We got Tom Brady back. No Gronk, but we got Julio Jones. So many, so many more storylines. We got a lot of fresh new faces this year. I know last year the Bucks brought back all the starters from the Super Bowl team. Not the case this year. We got a lot of new faces. Um, but man, just stoked for another season. Stoked uh, that we get at least one more year of uh, of Tom Brady quarterbacking this team. And uh, yeah, I mean LFG, man, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, you had a really busy offseason, didn't you? Brady retires, Brady unretires, yeah. Bruce takes a role with the front office, Todd Bowles, now the head coach, Julio Jones is a buck. Uh, busy offseason for you. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of prefer that, especially when all of those moves were kind of positive at the end of the day, right? Obviously, you know, with the exception of Bronx, um, looking like he's going to stay retired, but, you know, Brady, when he retired, you know, you're all sad, but you can't expect anything else at this point, right? We were all kind of like, okay, you know, it makes sense now. We, we get it. And then when he comes back, it was just pure, pure elation that we're, we're going to get another, at least another one of these things. Because again, it's hard to appreciate it when you're in the moment, you know, how, how lucky you are to, you know, even just as a fan to root for the team that has the greatest player of all time on your team. Um, and I know we've got, we've talked about that before with, you know, things I've written about what it means to this town, what it means to this franchise to have the greatest player of all time. Finally gets to free agency and he picks the team with the lowest record, you know, the lowest winning percentage in the history of professional football. It just doesn't happen. These things don't happen. He comes here, he wins the Super Bowl. And we're going to get a third season of this, man. It's just, I feel like Bucks fans are still pinching themselves at this point, rightly so. Uh, and this team, again, is, is kind of retooled and reloaded. I think they learned last year that you can't just run it back. You can't just bring everybody back and expect that to be what wins it for you. And I think they addressed some of those things in the offseason. They let guys go that they feel like maybe weren't going to get them over the hump. And they brought in guys that they felt like uh, would give them something a little different that could help them, you know, avoid the issues that kept them from repeating last year. And I think this team, there there's quite a few reasons why I think this Bucks team could be absolutely better than last year. Yeah, it, it is such a gift with Brady being back and the Bucks having a realistic shot of going to win another one. I mean, who was more impressive than the Bucks, especially on defense? Maybe the Bills all around the way they handled the Rams on the road on Thursday night. But I put the Bucks right there. I think NFC, it's Bucks. AFC, it's Bills right now. And um, I don't care what the power rankings say right now, Luke. I, I don't I don't know how the Bucks aren't one or two. Um, but you had an article on Bucks Wire. Why is Tom Brady still playing football? And And I think that's you know, that's the question, right? That's the question. How close is he to the end? I'm starting to feel like this might be it. He's taken one more run at the Super Bowl. He's always wanted to play to 45. He's been talking about how emotional he is coming back. Uh, you know, but why is he still playing football? I think it's just what we were talking about. The Bucks might have the best roster in the NFC right now. Their defense is insane. And they've got a dominant running game. They Really, they embarrassed the Cowboys. Like we're reaching for topics to talk about off of Week One because the Bucks dominated the Cowboys so much, right? So uh, it feels like a big reason Tom came back was because he said, "Well, I've still got it." You know, this. You know, he he put up insane numbers at in age forty four, 
last season, right? Like 5,300 passing yards. Forget it. What was it? 43 touchdowns. Like he was just unbelievable last year. And he's like, it would be a shame to waste a legitimate shot to win another Super Bowl. And I, and I think that's why he's back. He just couldn't help himself. He's just said, we're too good. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of how it's hard for him to look at that and, and see, because he said in the past, and we've talked about this before, right, that when I, when I suck, I'll retire. And, you know, you heard the, you know, his, his discourse on that change a little bit from year to year, and, and you could tell it was, you know, weighing on him a bit more that he wasn't able to be in, involved in as, as a dad and as a husband and, and with the other things, personal things that he wanted to do. And so that, you know, the, the, the verbiage kind of changed a little bit, but I don't think his feelings did at all. I think it's hard for him to look and see, like, yeah, I'm 44, but, you know, talking about last year, but I literally just led the league in every passing category imaginable. And we should have won the Super Bowl, let's be honest, last year. If, you know, that first half against the Rams goes a little differently and, you know, they don't blow that assignment at the end of the game and they beat the Rams. They beat the 49ers, and I'm pretty sure they would have beat the Bengals with that pass rush they have. And, and, and you know, then you're talking about a repeat. Maybe he does retire then, but man, with a chance to keep playing at the level he has and with the chance, you know, with the team around him and the willingness of the Bucks organization to continue to do whatever it takes to maximize this window with the way they construct contracts, the way they go after whoever Brady wants or whoever's available that they feel like will give them an edge and the ability to attract those players because they do have Tom Brady and they do have a Super Bowl ring in the last year or two. And, and everybody who, who has a choice wants to be here because they want a shot at that ring too. So, you know, all of those things t- together, it, I, I can't imagine Brady, you know, looking at that and not wanting to keep doing that as long as it's possible to, to have a chance to continue to, to play at such a high level and to win championships while doing it. Um, but that's, I think that's just it, man. I, I think that's – the the article I wrote was off of a video that NFL Films did that I thought was really great. It, it was based off a George Mallory quote um, from his expeditions to Everest you know, people kept asking him, like, why do you keep trying again? Like, why do you keep going back to the mountain over and over and over again? And he says, because it's there. And I think, you know, the, there's, you know, something poignant there for Brady in that, you know, you have seven Super Bowls, you have all these MVPs, you have all these records, you're, you're almost 50 years old, and you're still doing this. Why, like, you have nothing to prove to anybody. And, you know, he kind of said it to Melissa Stark after the, after the Cowboys game on Sunday night. She asked him, what, what do you have to prove? And I think he said this pretty much every time, but it's not about a record. It's not about a number. It's not about anything other than loving the game. And if you love the game, you respect the game to the point where you're not going to go out there and, and make a fool of yourself. And if he didn't think he could be successful, he wouldn't do it. But once you commit to doing that, you, you climb the mountain because it's there. You know, he's always said that the, the, his favorite ring is the next one. And I feel like that ties together with this. You know, he's he's back playing football because it, he the mountain is still there. Every year in the NFL, you start over. You start back at the bottom of the mountain. So for Brady, if he feels like he's got a chance to get to the top, I feel like he's got this compulsion. He said it in the Man in the Arena documentary, right? He's got this torment about him when it comes to the game of football that he doesn't even wish on his kids, he said. Like, he hopes they find something that makes, him as, that makes them as happy as he is with football. But he doesn't wish on them the, the kind of like he used the word torment, you know, to talk about how he feels about playing this game and, and how winning feels like a relief and <laughs> instead of making you happy as opposed to losing and how mad it makes you. So 
there's a lot there to unpack, I think, for him. But I think at the end of the day, it really is just that simple that every year, if he feels like he's got the ability to make that commitment and the ability to play at that high level and win the championship, he's going to start climbing up that mountain again. Yeah, I think you, you go back to his, his final Patriots years. I think he said he was the most miserable 8-0 quarterback in NFL history. There was one great quote he had at a podium. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just how he's wired. Uh, but what a gift that Brady's back in the Bucks. Like, what impressed you the most? Like, your first impressions of this team under Bowles, Luke, in this ballgame against the Cowboys. I mean, Julio Jones really popped, right? It looks like he's in great shape. Clearly, they have a plan for him. Lenny Fournette quietly is becoming one of the best backs in the league. Like I don't I mean, all around backs now the way he's catching the football. Mike Evans is still Mike Evans and, and Chris Godwin playing in the game and getting involved early was huge. Um, now maybe you can tell us what the latest is on his hamstring. It sounds like it was more promising than they might've thought Sunday night. Uh, did they rush him back? You know, like, was it, I don't know. Should they have maybe tried to slow Chris down a little bit more or, you know, do you got to let the guy play if he wants to play, you know, and then, you know, bowls in his defense, just again, embarrassed Alice. They, they didn't score after their first drive. They only scored three points. And, uh, you know, if Dak didn't break his hand, he was going to break something else because they were just tormenting uh, the backfield all game. Oh, look at me going to that word torment. I think you put that in my head, Luke, but what was your first, what was your first impression of this game? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, going into this game, I feel like we all expected last year's week one again, right? It was in Tampa, but it was a, you know, kind of a shootout. It was back and forth a little bit. Both quarterbacks were making big plays, and it came down to a, you know, whoever got the ball last, and the Bucks got it last. Brady takes him down, and they get the field goal at the buzzer to win. That's kind of what it felt like it was going to be this time. And I don't know if there was a better example of the difference between, at least it appears to me so far, to be the difference between what the Bruce Arians Bucks looked like and what the, what the Todd Bowles Bucks are going to look like because, I mean, this was this looked like a, a team that was run by a defensive head coach as opposed to one that's no risk it, no biscuit, we're going to sling it all over the field. You know, this was dominant ground game. This was dominant defense. Uh, this was, you know, Brady's, Brady's stat line was fairly pedestrian, had a little over 200 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Uh, but Lenny had 127 yards, which are the most he's ever had in a, in a game for the Bucks. Um, you know, they, the offensive line really, really handled that defensive front from, uh, from Dallas very, very well. Obviously, like you said, you had your chunk plays. Leo had the big 48 yard catch, um, which to run that fast at 33 years old is unfair. I'm 36 and, and just to watch someone that's anywhere near my age be able to just blow by NFL defensive backs like that is just ridiculous. He's, he looks great. Um, just incredible, man. I mean, he's running end arounds at 33 years old because he's that fast. That's just, and especially at that size, it's ridiculous. But, you know, I, I think what stood out to me about this win was the, the Dallas's first drive. Dallas gets the ball first. They march down the field. They convert two of their third downs, and they're both third and long, if I'm not mistaken. And and the field goal feels like a relief, right? You're like, oh, man, at least they only got a field goal. Because this, this Bucks defense is still, you know, looking like it's still got some issues. They've given up long third downs. They give up a 54-yard drive and points on the first drive, and it's not how we wanted to start, right? Yeah. Well, that was as good as it got for the Cowboys that night. Um, again, like you said, they didn't score the rest of the game. They had 244 total yards after that 54-yard drive. Um, so, you know, again, less than 200 yards the rest of the game. The Cowboys didn't get past the Bucks' 31-yard line all night. Um, so no red zone trips at all. I know the Bucks had their red zone struggles, but at least they got there. At least they got points. Because yeah. um, Dallas just couldn't do it. So again, to clamp down the way that defense did, they got four sacks. Um, obviously, you hate seeing Dak Prescott go down and, and and be out for a little while. You never want that to happen. 
Um, but the way they played defense, like I said, they, they converted – Cowboys converted two of those big third downs on that first drive. They finished the game three for 15. So they only converted on third down one more time the rest of the game after that first drive. Um, Antoine Winfield was fantastic in the slot. They moved him kind of from safety down to that nickel spot when there's when there's three or four wide receiver sets. He was incredible in the nickel. Um, you loved what you saw from just about everybody on that defensive front. Um, there's just so much to be excited about. And again, we, we went into this game thinking, hey, it's going to be tight. Both teams are going to get their shots in on offense. I mean, the Bucks just suffocated the Cowboys for four quarters. They Again, 19-3 to doesn't look like a dominant win because of how many field goals the Bucks had to, to, to kick. And again, that is an issue. They're going to have to figure out how to convert in the red zone. Um, but man, when you look at this in totality, if, you, if a couple of those field goals are flipped into touchdowns, even just one of them, this feels like on the scoreboard a much more indicative of what we saw on the field because honestly, I think Cowboys just got their asses kicked. We've got some more takes about this game. You know, obviously Rob Gronkowski's retired. Luke's got a take on the tight ends. The Bucks are ushering in some young guys. They were pretty impressive in this one. And we want to spend some time on the Saints because the Bucks have to go to New Orleans next, and that has been a house of horrors, Luke. Uh, but first, our friends over at thehuddle.com, they're going to give us their fantasy plays of the week. Stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. This is the Typical Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. I'm Corbinini of TheHuddle.com, here to bring you strong plays for week number two. Indianapolis Colts quarterback Matt Ryan at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Starting an Indianapolis quarterback on the road at Jacksonville isn't as comfortable as it may seem. The Colts haven't won there since 2014, and something always seems to go wrong. Ryan was a viable streamer in week one, throwing for 352 yards and a touchdown on 50 pass attempts. The stat line could have looked much better if two passes weren't dropped in the end zone. While there is some risk associated in starting Ryan, Jacksonville did give up 313 yards and four touchdowns to Carson Wentz last week. Tony Pollard, running back, Dallas Cowboys versus the Cincinnati Bengals. This matchup profiles better for Pollard than it does Ezekiel Elliott if the Bengals can force Dallas into a pass-happy script with Cooper Rush under center. Dallas's offensive line is a mess right now, too, which bodes well for getting Pollard out into space. He is a fairly risky play in most settings, since it's more likely than not, Cincinnati will play tight around the line of scrimmage. Expect plenty of checkdown work coming from Cooper Rush's right hand. Wide receiver Julio Jones, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at New Orleans Saints. Likely to be without Chris Godwin, Tampa might have to put the ball in the air more than usual against a Saints defense that is tough to run against. Wide receiver Mike Evans has not enjoyed tremendous success through the years, especially against Marshawn Lattimore when he faces the Saints. That could redirect Tom Brady's attention to his peripheral outlets, such as Julio Jones. Jones looked every bit the part of his former self in week one after two years of injuries derailed his career and had many people wondering if there was anything left in the tank. While we don't expect a huge day from him, there's upside for around 15 PPR points. Los Angeles Chargers tight end Gerald Everett at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chargers will be without Keenan Allen on Thursday night and Everett came through as a nice streaming play in week one, finishing as tight end number four in PPR format. Expect a high-scoring game from two talented offenses, and Justin Herbert will put the ball in the air and he seems to have plenty of confidence in Everett. For more award-winning fantasy tips, news, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatoday bet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, we're back. Thanks for sticking with us. 
Luke, talk to me a little bit about the tight ends. Uh, Kyle Rudolph, I think, to some was a surprise and active. We saw, we saw some Kate Otten, the fourth rounder that they drafted, and uh, Coe Keeft as well, the sixth rounder. Two very different kind of tight ends, though, right? And uh, you were kind of impressed by the way they used him. Yeah, for sure. I think, again, people focused on the fact that Kyle Rudolph is kind of a, you know, a recognizable name that people know. He's a veteran guy that's been to the Pro Bowl a couple times. Um, and in his prime was really one of the better tight ends in the league. So you, you go out and sign that guy after you know that, that Gronk is retired. It makes it pretty clear that he's not going to come back. So you go get that veteran guy. And I think everybody expected him to kind of come in and be tight end one, even with Cam Brait. Um, you know, you figured the bigger, more athletic, more accomplished, you know, elsewhere in the league type of guy, he's going to be the guy, right? Well, you come into Sunday night and he's inactive. And, and what you get instead uh, is you you got Cam Braid, obviously, but I'm going to kind of peel back to the draft and, and Jason Light, the general manager, going into that draft and having a clear plan for what they wanted to do at that position because at that point, we're sure if it was going to be Gronk or not. So, you're trying to to hedge against that, right? So what did they do? They went and spent the, four, the, the fourth round pick. It was the first pick of the round. So they're picking first on day three. So you've had two days of the draft. You've had a full overnight, you know, to sit and think about it. You've got the first pick. And they took Kate Otten, who was the tight end that I, I thought they liked a lot. I thought he was the guy um, that they really wanted out of this draft. He's huge. He's athletic. He's physical. And if you go back and watch the film at Washington, he played – a very similar game and a very similar skill set to what Gronk did for this team. Obviously, nobody is Gronk. No one necessarily will ever be Gronk and, and be able to do the things that he could do at his level, at his size. But Otten does all of those things pretty darn well, and he did them. He was asked to do them a lot at Washington. That's something that's always tough to evaluate with players coming to the NFL, right? It's like, we can only see what you were asked to do. We were we can only see you do the things that your team asked you to do, and it's really helpful when a college program puts a player in position to do a lot of the things that they're going to be asked to do at the next level. And that's really what Kate Otten got the benefit of in Washington. Is not only was he a great pass catcher down the field because of his size and athleticism and the length and everything, but they really put him to use as a blocker very, very often, and he was able to develop that skill set so that when he got to the next level, the Bucks felt like they were getting a very complete player who didn't necessarily have to make big plays as a receiver to have a big impact on the game, and that's really what we saw Sunday night. He didn't, he didn't catch any passes, but the Bucks really, especially with those offensive line injuries that we've had this year, they're going to need those tight ends to be a huge part of the running game, like Gronk was. Gronk was basically another offensive tackle out there because of how good he is as a blocker, Definitely wouldn't put Otten on that level yet, but he definitely didn't look like a rookie in that role. And they also went into the draft thinking, hey, we've got to have somebody who is basically a, a more athletic, more versatile version of the extra offensive lineman that we bring in on these heavy packages, right? So they, they like short yardage to bring in an extra tackle or guard to be that extra blocker. And Coquif was a guy that kind of jumped off the film to them as being like, listen, he can be that guy, but he can also come out of the backfield and catch a pass. He can play more of a fullback role where we can line him up and motion him around in different ways uh, and still take advantage of that blocking ability because that's literally all he, he lives to do. Um, he's just, you know, that what they call a glass eater, right? Just a guy who just loves contact, loves physicality of the game, and, and loves to, to punish the defensive lineman for getting anywhere near him. And he absolutely did that on Sunday night. Go ask Leighton Sanderetch linebacker for the Cowboys if he ever wants to see Coquif again and I guarantee you he'll shudder because um, that's just how it went uh, that night for a first round pick linebacker against a sixth round pick tight end but again that just speaks to Jason Light's ability to identify a very specific role 
for a player and to find a prospect that fits it perfectly. Because I remember when, he, when they drafted him, everybody's like, who the heck is Co'Keefe? What is that? What is a Co'Keefe? I don't understand. Uh, even for us draft guys, we really didn't know too much about the guy because he's just, you know, blocking backs don't really jump off the page in terms of our, our evaluations. But to watch him and Otten impact the game in the ground game as much as they did is going to do wonders for this team. Again, you're talking about a team that has that replaced the entire interior of their offensive line. They still got Donovan Smith, but they had him missing for half the game. You got Tristan Wirfs, the all-pro at right tackle. But you lost both of your guards and your Pro Bowl center, and you're replacing those guys with a rookie second-round pick and Luke Gadecki at left guard. Robert Haynes, who made his first start in the NFL Sunday night against the Cowboys at center. And then Shaq Mason, who's the more experienced guy that Brady's played with in New England, obviously one of the better guards in the league still, but but still, to, to have all those replacements, you need those tight ends to, to kind of pick up the slack. They absolutely did that, and I think both of those picks look like home run picks already, and neither of those guys have caught a pass yet. New Orleans, you know, as we get to this game against the Saints, Luke, we mentioned it, been a nightmare for Brady and the Bucks ever since he got here. We're going to get into this matchup. Uh, the Saints have won seven straight games in the regular season, head-to-head with the Bucks, and it hasn't mattered who's playing quarterback for either side. Uh, so we're going to get into that, but it would be really nice to have Donovan Smith out there protecting Brady's blind side against this team. Uh, we don't need Brady going into New Orleans feeling any type of, uh, you know, any type of way about his protection. Uh, so what do you hear about Smith and what's the timetable for his return? Yeah, obviously we hated to, to see Godwin go down in the first half and you, you do kind of wonder if that had anything to do with the knee. Um, but it, you know, from everything the Bucks are saying, Todd Bowles is saying, it's, it's definitely not related to the knee. It's just a hamstring strain. It's probably just due to a you know a lack of action. You know you, you you can practice all day long, but being in a game is just different. And I don't know if they necessarily rushed him back. I, I think Bowles was clear, like, listen, we're not going to rush him or play him before he's ready. But also, if the doctors tell me he's cleared and he's ready to go, I'm not going to not play him just because it'll make me feel more comfortable or or I'll be more relieved. Like once he's ready, there's no it's unfair to kind of hold him back and not let him accomplish. And I do think, you know, there might have been something mentally that if he was ready to go and there was no other reason to to sit him other than, you know, peace of mind, that may have been a little unfair to Chris, who may have, you know, had a goal to, hey, I'm going to get back for week one. I'm going to make this happen. And if he accomplishes that and then your coach still says, no, we're going to sit you just so I'll feel better, that's kind of BS, you know what I mean? So I I don't think Todd was going to do that to him. Obviously, he didn't. Got him the ball on the first play of the game, and it was a 24-yard catch. Um so, you know, I think it, it really had nothing to do with the knee. sure seems that way. Also seems like it's not going to be as serious as they thought it was initially, which hopefully that means maybe a week or two, maybe a few weeks instead of something longer. Um, but I also think that the Bucks can deal with Chris Godwin being gone way more easily than they can deal with Donovan Smith being gone. This is a guy who was a second-round pick, second pick in 2015. So this, I think he was 34th overall, so early second-round pick. He's missed two starts since then. And again, you can argue about his level of play and consistency and whether or not he's been an elite left tackle. What he has been is extremely durable at a premium position and played really some of his best football over the last two seasons since Brady came to Tampa Bay. So, you know, to lose Donovan Smith, I think, is is a huge, huge issue. So when Todd Bowles told us on Monday that it looks like it's just a hyperextended elbow, it's going to be more of a pain tolerance thing for him. If you're talking about pain tolerance being the issue for a guy who's only missed two starts since 2015, I think we know darn well that, uh, that, that Donovan Smith is going to be out there on Sunday. Obviously, that ho- hope that's true and hope he's going to be okay. Uh, but to hear it was that type of injury instead of something more serious was definitely a huge win for this team. I think just for Brady's psyche, Luke, we need, 
we need Smith out there for Brady, <laughs> just for his psyche, uh, because this has been a house of horrors, New Orleans. We're going to get into it. We're going to talk about the spread. The Bucks, if you can believe it, are favored heading over to New Orleans. Seems like the Saints just should be favored because the Bucks struggle so much with this team. Uh, but we'll get into the matchup, get Luke's take on it. We'll be right back. Bucks Saints, 1 p.m. Eastern time slot. Bucks are two and a half point road favorites going into, as I said, Luke, their house of horrors. Uh, what's your take on that spread? I mean, can you trust the Bucks giving away points against this team anymore? I, I mean, I think the Bucks are better. I always do. I always seem to think that when they go into these games. But then I'm always like, I'm always just like, it never matters. It never matters. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just dumbfounded. So can you trust the Bucks giving away points? And what's your take on the total at 44 and a half? It really feels like the odds makers are telling us they expect another slog fest, right? Like between these teams, like we always seem to get. It always is ugly. It always it's either a blowout or it's ugly or it's low scoring or just something weird happens. So what's your take on that spread and that that low total 44 and a half? I think if you have money to bet on the NFL this week, you should spend it somewhere else. Uh, I think anytime the Bucks play the Saints, especially on the road, if you want to spend money on that, I can't stop you. But I just I will never feel comfortable until I see it. Right. And obviously the playoff game was the one that mattered and they won that one. And that's I think they'd trade those four regular season wins for that one all day long. And I think the Saints make the opposite trade. Um, but when it comes to the regular season, again, even with Brady, they just haven't been able to figure that out. And, and, and a lot of the credit goes to, to the Saints, and particularly Dennis Allen as a defensive coordinator. His, his game plan has frustrated the heck out of Tom Brady and, and the Bucks offense four times now uh, in the regular season. He's just been really good at figuring that out. The problem with that this year is he doesn't have the personnel. Uh, you know, he doesn't have the same safety combo. I know he's got Tyron Matthew, which is going to be a huge uh, problem for the Bucks offense. He, he always is for anybody. But you don't have Marcus Williams. Uh, you don't have Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who is your, your nickel-slash-safety guy that they they ran a lot of coverages where it was just cover zero across and, and running man, and then you were letting those safeties drift in and out of wherever they saw Brady going with the ball. So they jumped Godwin, they jumped Gronk, whoever they thought based on the film that he was going to, and it really frustrated him. So the, the problem is Dennis Allen can call a great game, but I don't know if he has the same personnel to get the same job done this time around, if that makes sense. So, you know, still at the end of the day, I, this is always going to be a tough game. And until the Bucks prove that they've gotten over whatever mental block they're dealing with when it comes to beating this team, uh, I think on paper it's not even close. Not that the Saints don't have some playmakers. And again, Michael Thomas looked like his old self on Sunday. You know, they, they had an impressive comeback. But they had an impressive comeback against maybe the least talented team in the entire NFL. I was going to say, it was against Falcons. the Falcons, right? So uh, in my opinion. So, you know, uh, to do it against the Bucks, I think, would be a, a much different situation. Obviously, they're going to have a, a great crowd there in that stadium, one of the toughest places to go in and win. Um, but don't don't discount the fact that this is, this is Brady, probably Brady's last ride, which means probably his last game in New Orleans. Uh, you know that he wants to go in there and, and, and just blow them out. He wants to go in there and be perfect and blow them out of the water. Um, and again, coming off a game where they, they, they won comfortably, but obviously, especially on offense, again, so many trips to the red zone that didn't end in the end zone. Brady's going to be pissed off about it, and he's going to want to correct that this week. He's going to want to go in uh, and put up a lot of points. Uh, and again, I think there's enough missing on that side of the ball for, for, for New Orleans. And again, you don't have Sean Payton. You don't have your play caller. Your head coach has been there for a decade or more. Dennis Allen's going to have to prove he can be a great defensive coordinator while being a good head coach. 
Um, you know, I, I think that all signs should point to the Bucks winning this game, but should, I think Luke. we felt that way about <laughs> yeah. about the, the home games the last two years where the Bucks are like, oh, you lost to the Saints earlier in the season in New Orleans. That's fine. It's later. We figured it out. We're at home. It's going to be great. And both times they, they get blown out. So until I see it on the field, I'm just not going to put any money anywhere near this matchup. Yeah, there's always a head scratcher with this team. There was a 38 to 3 debacle in 2020. There was yeah, that, man. that weird 9 nothing loss at nothing. home when Brady just kind of quit. He just started chucking the ball down the sideline at the end. He was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. So there is a mental thing there. Um, but it will be fascinating. Does the mental thing continue without Sean Payton? You mentioned Dennis Allen's the coach, right? Jameis Winston's back under center. The Bucks have seen all kinds of quarterbacks. Taysom Hill, Drew Brees, uh, Trevor Simeon, right? Now it's Jameis Winston. They do have a really potent group of skill players, which will be kind of fun to watch go against the Bucks defense. Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry. Now he had a great game against Atlanta. Again, it's Atlanta. You know, Atlanta, Luke, is kind of like the Bucks and the Saints. Like the Saints always struggle with Atlanta, no matter how bad Atlanta is. That's just their, that's their team. The Atlanta's like their, their weird team. They usually win, but Atlanta gives them fits. And then, of course, they got uh, Chris Olave, right? So it'll be interesting to see those skill players go against this Bucks defense without Sean Payton, as you were kind of saying. Dallas didn't have much for the Bucks on Sunday night. They didn't have nothing. So hopefully this is kind of a, a litmus test for the Bucs this, going against this offense. If they shut this offense down with some of their playmakers, that'd be a really good sign. I'd, I'd be feeling really good about being 2-0, and beating Dallas and, of, of course, New Orleans on the road. That'd be a really good sign. Yeah, and I think, honestly, it's a great time for Todd Bowles to kind of peel back the curtain and, and let some of his more complex concepts fly in this game because you know good and well, the Bucks know as well as anybody, what Jameis Winston is capable of in, in the best and worst ways. And I think if you're able to confuse him and frustrate him, obviously shut down the run because if, if they're going to run Kamara and, and get chunk yardage there, they're not going to have to throw the ball as much. But you've got to get Jameis Winston into third and longs. You've got to run some complex pressures, which they did a lot of Sunday night against Dallas, a lot of moving people around. They had Mike Edwards lining up at linebacker and then coming in on blitzes. They were showing blitzes from one side and bringing other guys, dropping you know defensive linemen and bringing safeties and linebackers. So if they're able to get Jameis Winston in, in a good bit of third and long and, and have those very complex pressures and coverages where he doesn't know what's coming and, and obviously is you know capable of turning the ball over a lot, as the Bucs well know, um, so that that's the recipe right there is, is make sure that Kamara is bottled up as best as possible and force Jameis Winston to make play, big plays down the field and change up what you're doing coverage-wise, pre-snap to post-snap and confuse him. I think that's the ticket. And, and again, talent-wise, I think they have a chance to, to, to really assert the fact that that's in the past here. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I mean, you, you mentioned if they go 2-0 on the road against NFC opponent. NFC South opponent, and then you come back home with that record, think about what's going to happen at the end of the year. I know it's way early, but assuming the Bucks are going to be you know, in that playoff race, go look at last year, what, what it came down to, and the seeding and how it changed just in the last week of the season. When it comes to tiebreakers at the end of the year, conference record, division record, and getting two division, two, two conference wins on the road, one of them against the team that's going to you know, challenge you for the division title, these two wins, if they get them, are going to be huge when you get to the end of the season. Luke Easterling, you're, you're in mid-season form, like, like always, Luke. Mid-season form, man. It's great to be back on the mic with you. I'm excited for season three covering this team. It's a beautiful thing, man. Great, great to have the show back and, and great to have football back, man. It's the best time of the year. 
100%. So for Luke, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us this week. Don't forget to hit subscribe. We'll be back after Bucks Saints. It's always fun. We'll catch you after that one. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.